Well, friends, we come now to our preaching passage this morning that comes from the book of Philemon. That's in the New Testament. It's at the end of Paul's letters. It's right before the book of Hebrews. I'd invite you to turn there and actually stand with me as we're going to read out God's word, this preaching passage from the book of Philemon. So brothers and sisters, hear God's word. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. For I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark and Aristarchus, Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, those of you outside at 11 o'clock as we gather in the very hot weather out there uh, in, in just a moment. And it's great to be with uh, the, uh, the many uh, thousands, really, as uh, we gather in this way uh, around God's word at this time. Uh, Pastor Ben has just read out for us from the book of Philemon, and we're doing a, a one-off um, sermon, sermon series, a one-time sermon on this, on this whole very brief uh, book of Philemon. It's an extraordinary piece of persuasion from the Apostle Paul that the gospel 
must have uh, social, relational implications and impact. Let's see how, uh, how he makes that appeal. It begins like this. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. Philemon was with them in the work of the gospel. He wasn't only a, 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 a Christian, he was a committed uh, part of the ministry. Uh, at the end of the letter, uh, Paul uh, calls uh, Mark and Aristarchus, Demas and Luke, also his, his fellow workers. And Philemon was in that, in that group. He was a, a pastor, a missionary, a committed fellow worker of the Apostle Paul's. Uh, the letter was written uh, in probably about A.D. 62, about 30 years or so after the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. It was uh, sent out along with two other letters, uh, the letter to the Colossians and the letter to the Ephesians. And Paul sent it out not through the mail service, but by the hand of uh, two, uh, two individuals, one Tychicus and the other Onesimus, And this letter to Philemon, not to a church, to Philemon and some of his fellow workers uh, was with regard to Onesimus and how the gospel needs to have an impact in the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus, as we'll see. So Paul, writing to Philemon primarily, as, uh, as will come clear as we go through the letter, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then uh, from verses 4 to 7, uh, Paul outlines who Philemon is. And then from verses 8 to the end of the, uh, end of the book, what the implications of who he is need to be with relationship to his relationship with Onesimus. So how the gospel must transform socially, relationally, um, and how who we are, who Philemon is, is the motivation, the, the basis of the appeal, the, the, the necessary cause of this set of transformed relationships. So first, who, um, who Philemon is, verses uh, 4 to 7. Paul says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. You know, it's very easy, isn't it, for us to, um, even with regard to other Christians, when we think of them, to have uh, grumbling thoughts, uh, to have complaining thoughts, uh, to whine about what they think about this, that, and the other, and even to let some of that attitude enter into our prayer life. When we pray for people, it can be a, a list of complaints about them. Oh, God, can't you sort out that or the other or this? Uh, but here Paul models for us, even though Philemon has some significant work to do in his life, as we'll see, thanksgiving. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Now bring to your mind that particular individual or those set of individuals that, you, that perhaps you are not finding easy to relate to. 
And instead of beginning your prayers for them with a list of complaints, begin with thanksgiving. I thank my God. That's how Paul begins. Well, why does he uh, thank God? Because I hear of your love and uh, faith. That's the primary things for which we can give thanks with regard to other Christians, that a Christian loves and has faith. And if, if you're, you know, when you come to bring to your mind that person or those set of individuals that you're struggling to relate to, maybe it's at home, maybe it's at work, maybe it's in the church like it was here in Philemon, you can always thank God that that person believes in Jesus loves Jesus. Thank my God for their faith and for their love. Note that he doesn't thank Philemon for his faith and love. He thanks God because faith and love is a gift of God. And so he thanks God that God has done that in Philemon's life. And his faith and love is particularly towards the Lord Jesus. And that's Christian faith and love, not just generically to God but specifically to Jesus because Jesus is the fullness of God. And the Christian faith and the Christian love, the focal point of that is is Jesus. To worship in spirit and truth is to worship centered upon Christ. Thanks God that Philemon loves and believes in the Lord Jesus. But not only that, also for all the saints. Now, when we use the word saint, we think of a particularly holy individual. But the Bible doesn't use the word saint like that. In the Bible, a saint is a Christian. Uh, A saint is someone who has been saved. Not an especially holy person, but a Christian. And the reason why the Bible uses the word saint like that is because in the Bible's way of thinking, all of those who put their faith in Jesus have Christ's righteousness or his holiness or his goodness reckoned to them through faith. And so by position, they are saints. They're in a new relationship with God. And so if you're a Christian, you're a saint. Of course, that doesn't mean that we're as holy as we need to be. It doesn't mean that we don't need to work at our holiness. Philemon had some significant work to do. But nonetheless, he was a saint. And he loved all the saints. That is, he loved the Christian community. That's a great thing. He had a love for the church. He didn't have favorites. He didn't prefer one group over another group. He loved them all. Old, young, different classes, rich or poor. He loved them all. That's a lot to give thanks for. And then Paul begins to outline what he's going to be appealing that Philemon would do by praying along those lines. Every time you want to urge someone towards action, it's important to be praying that they would do what you're going to urge them to do. And so Paul does that. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. That's verse 6. Now when the Bible, the translation here puts it as sharing, behind that is the Greek word koinonia. And koinonia has um, a wide set of um, 
possible translations in English, uh, it means essentially the oneness that we have then put into practice. It can be used with regard to generosity, financial generosity. It can be used with regard to practical care for each other. It can be used with regard to applying what we know to the outside world and sharing our faith in that regard. In essence, what Paul is saying is, I'm praying that the gospel you believe would have an impact in how you relate to Onesimus. The gospel must transform our social relationships, our relationships with other Christians in practical ways. And he's praying it would. The sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. You know, when someone is no longer learning more about God, they feel like they're not, they're not knowing anymore. They don't know enough. The way to grow in your knowledge of God, obviously reading books, listening to sermons, all this is good. But if there's a blockage, if someone doesn't, make progress, nine times out of ten it's because they're not active in the sharing of their faith. They're not practically committed to a local community of the church. They're not sharing the gospel with non-Christians. They're not sharing their resources with those who are poor. If you want to have the full knowledge to grow more and more what you, what you know about, what you could know about God, Get active in ministry. And then you have more and more the full knowledge of every good thing that is in you for the sake of Christ. And then in this, this first part where Paul is describing who Philemon is as the basis for his appeal to how Philemon should act, in verse 7 he concludes this first part by saying, I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints, again the saints, that is other Christians, have been refreshed through you or revived through you. So in other words, Philemon is having a very active and spiritually fruitful ministry. There's refreshment going on, renewal going on, revival going on. But it must have social implications with regard to Onesimus. And then Paul, verse 8 to the end of the book, um, appeals. He, he sets out a series of arguments for why this, this, uh, this gospel must have implications for how um, Philemon acts towards Onesimus. Let's look at them. He says, verse 8, accordingly, that is, therefore, because of this, this is who you are, Philemon, accordingly, therefore, this is how you need to act. You've believed the gospel, now live like it in terms of how you relate to other people. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. This whole book is just a masterpiece of persuasion. And what Paul is doing here is he's saying, look, I'm an apostle. I could command you, but I'm going to appeal to you. It's always better, even when you're in a position of authority, you have positional power, it's always better if you want actual inside internal transformation and not just begrudging 
coming along with what you've been told to do. It's always better to attempt to come and appeal. Like, come on, you can do it, Philemon. And so he's appealing to him for love's sake. Now look how wise the Apostle Paul is. He's commended Philemon for his love. And now he's saying, Philemon, for love's sake, I'm going to appeal to you. And then he brings out the big guns. He says, I, Paul, the great Paul, an old man now. He was in jail for Jesus. He wasn't in prison because he was a criminal. He was in prison because he was a preacher. An old man and now prisoner also for Christ Jesus. He's bringing out his example to appeal to Philemon. Again, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. And what, what Paul's saying here is that Onesimus has become a Christian. He's been converted. He's regenerate. He's born again. And when you become a Christian, you enter into the family of the church. And now Onesimus is a brother And through Paul's ministry, he has a father-like relationship with Paul because Paul led him to Jesus. He's in the family of the church. Now, as is familiar, I suppose, to many of us, the, the name Onesimus means useful. And then in verse 11, Paul is going to have a play on words on that to appeal to Philemon. So verse 11, formerly he was useless to you. Well, Onesimus is meant to mean useful, But formerly, Onesimus was useless to Philemon. But now he's become a Christian. He's useful to you and to me. And that's what happens when you become a Christian. Before you're a Christian, you don't have any sense of purpose. There's no use for your life. Just a few, uh, few years and then it's over. There's no meaning. But when you become a Christian... There's purpose, there's meaning. You have a use, a cause, a mission. And that will happen to Anismus. I pray it will happen to you this morning. That you'll have a use, you understand how, what God the creator has made you to do. Anismus is now useful. And so Paul says, I'm, verse 12, I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Or literally, uh, in the Greek, it, it, he's saying, I'm sending my, my, my bowels, my, my gut. In, in the ancient world, uh, the, uh, the, the place of strongest emotion, uh, the heart, uh, it wasn't only thinking in the ancient world. It was thought of as the thinking and the feeling together with the will. What you have a heart for is what you do. But if you wanted to talk about the, um, the, the, the strongest passion, you talked about your gut. And what, what Paul's saying is he's, he's sending back Anismus, and it's like it's a gut-wrenching experience. It's like his bowels are being torn out. It's like he cares for him that much. And then he says, I would have been glad to keep him with me. Well, for sure, he loves him but also that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. Now, Anismus, you see, was a slave. But now he'd become a Christian, and his relationship to Paul wasn't master to slave. 
Uh, he, uh, the word here for serve is not, is not doulos, the slave word. It's diakonos. He's serving. He's having a ministry with Paul. And when you're in prison in Rome and in the ancient world, you weren't provided food and water. Your friends had to provide what you needed, your clothes, your food. And, and Anismus was having a ministry with Paul now. He was serving with him. He's serving him. He'd become a Christian. He now had a purpose. But, says Paul, verse 14, I prefer to do nothing without your consent. Again, he's not going to command him. He's looking to appeal to Philemon. In order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, and not commanding him, he's appealing, but of your own accord. For, he says, verse 15, this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant. Uh, the ESV translates the word doulos as bondservant. Some translations put it as slave. We'll see why in just a moment. But more than a bondservant, as a, bro- a beloved brother, especially to me. But now much, how much more to you, both in the flesh and the Lord. So he's sending him back no longer as a slave, no longer as a bondservant. In the ancient world, slavery didn't function the way we think of slavery. So when we think of slavery, we think of antebellum slavery, the pre-Civil War slavery, uh, barbaric racial overtones, uh, the transatlantic slave trade. That, that's what we think of when we think of slavery. In the ancient world, slavery functioned differently. Uh, to begin with, slavery was not always along racial uh, divisions. Um, the very word slave comes from the word Slavic, and in the ancient world, uh, the vast majority of the slaves would have been white. It, it didn't function along racial lines. Plus, a slave in the ancient world could make money and earn their freedom. And when they earned their freedom, often in the ancient world, a slave would actually keep the name of his or her master as a way of honoring their family and what a great benefit they had been to them to protect them from starvation without social um, uh, care structures uh, in, in the ancient world. As slaves, Jesus tells this parable of the, of the servants, or literally the slaves who were given talents, that's large amounts of money, and could make more money. Uh, so slavery functioned very uh, different in the ancient world. Paul himself calls himself a slave or a bondservant of Christ. It could have positive overturns. But nonetheless, of course, also it could be abused and often was too. And that's why Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says to the slaves, if you can get your freedom, you should do so. And the gospel, as it began to penetrate the Roman Empire, the the world at the time, slavery disappeared. For the gospel must have social implications. It must impact our relationships to other people in the society of the church and to the world. And what Paul's saying here is, now I want you to have him back no longer as a slave, or bondservant, that's why the ESV puts bondservant so that the English reader will understand the nuances of how the institution of slavery then was different than from today. 
but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, no longer as a slave, as a brother. Especially to me, especially to Paul. He's, Paul led him to, to Jesus. He's a very close brother to him. But how much more to you? There's a new relationship now I want you to have, Philemon, with Onesimus. Both in the flesh and in the Lord. Now, why does Paul put it like that? Paul puts it like that, I believe, because what he's saying is, I don't want you to think this is just a vague spiritual thing. You know, new spiritual relationship. No, it's practical. He's no longer a slave. I want him to be free. Practically, in the flesh, free. And in the Lord, but because in the Lord, therefore in the flesh. Practically, in the flesh sometimes is used as sort of immoral things. But here it means practically, physically free. And so he says, verse 17, if you consider me your partner, and this is one of these amazing ways, this, this persuasive technique of Paul's lands in this book. The word partner is the same as the word sharing earlier in the book where he, he prays that the sharing of your faith may be effective. And so he says, if you consider me someone you share with, this is the koinonia group of words, Receive him as you receive me. Share the gospel in terms of how you relate to Onesimus in your human relationships. And uh, Philemon was probably a very rich man. And so um, he had uh, been wronged by Onesimus. Onesimus may well have stolen from Philemon. And so Paul addresses the financial implications as well. Verse 18, if he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay. Let's have no financial blockages to this new social uh, relationship. To say nothing of your owing me even your own self. In other words, probably Philemon had himself become a Christian through the ministry of Paul. And then Paul says, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Look how how amazing is Paul's structure of of appeal here. Refresh my heart in Christ. Well, earlier he'd said, I I take great joy because the hearts of the saints, that is all the Christians, have been refreshed through you or revived through you. Well, now Philemon, remember, that's the kind of person you are. You're the kind of person that brings about refreshing times, revival times. Now, Philemon, in this relationship with Anismus, refresh my heart, revive my heart. And then verse 21, confident obedience. I'm not bringing out my apostolic authority and commanding you, but I could, and he's reminding him that this is a matter of obedience. Obey, Philemon. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing you'll do even more than I say. And then he concludes by saying, prepare a guest room for me, this very, very large mansion that Philemon have had. Ancient houses were, were huge with internal courtyards with many, many dozens, sometimes hundreds of people could gather. He just One of your guest rooms. I'm hoping that through your prayers, I'll be graciously given to you. Paul's never embarrassed to ask for prayer. Elders, pastors, deacons, Christian leaders, never be embarrassed to ask for prayer. You need to pray for your pastors. And uh, so then he concludes with the greetings. The gospel needs to have implications for 
how we relate socially in society, both in the church and the world, in our human relationships. The gospel transforms even the institution of slavery in the ancient world and even the most difficult of human relationships. When I was um, on staff at a church uh, back in the United Kingdom, I was uh, the student pastor there. The senior pastor at that church had a, a moral failing. I've, I've indicated that uh, many times in different venues, and for some of you that won't be news. For some it would have been. This is, wow, over 20 years or so ago. It's, it feels like ancient history. And when that happened, the elders brought in, a, uh, wisely they brought in a kind of moderator, a, a, uh, an experienced, recently retired pastor, um, much less well-known, this individual, but, but very wise and savvy. And he came in and, and was a vehicle for producing healing in that church. Um, I remember one story this older um, senior pastor told those many years ago about this kind of thing. He said he was pastor of a church once and he discovered that there were two individuals in that church who were literally not on speaking terms. They come to church, but they go out different doors. They'd avoid eye contact and they refused to speak to each other. Not a word. And as the, the pastor was there over a number of years, he began to figure out why and he heard stories from, from both of them about what had happened and he couldn't figure out how to help them get along. Finally, the, the, the pastor did this. Separately and individually, he asked both of them to meet him on a train platform at the same time, same platform, without the other one's knowledge. And he told the story of how one began to walk down from one side of the train platform down the stairs and the other walked down from the other side of the train platform down the stairs, walking towards their pastor and then just noticing the other one on the other side and stopping dead. I'm on one on one side of the pastor and the other on the other side of the pastor. He turned to each of them and said, you're both here now and none of us is going to leave until we let bygones be bygones and we move forward together. And they, they sorted it out. Philemon and Nismus reconciled in a new relationship as brothers in Christ. Another uh, very famous, uh, very godly uh, senior pastor that I know once told me of a similar but related instance in his church. There was a man in his church who was out to get the senior pastor. It, it happens. Uh, when you're a public leader, there are people who are against you. It's almost inevitable. You're here to serve the Lord, fear him and love people. And you can't expect everyone will like what you do. And this person was, was trying all he could to take out the senior pastor. And he told me the story. And then we went out to um, uh, lunch uh, together with some other fellow workers. And there was a man there sitting there chatting happily and to the senior pastor, everyone else. And the senior pastor told me how that, that, that God had done a new work in this person's life and solved all the problems. And now they're in a good relationship. And he pointed out to me this person sitting there and he said, that's the guy I was talking about. 
the gospel had entirely transformed their social relationship. They can do that for you. But who you are in Christ must, I appeal to you, must have an implication for how you relate to the Philemons and the Anisimuses in your life. Let's pray together. Our Lord God, we do pray that you would help us in that regard, help us to be wise with how we relate to other people and willing, Lord, to be humble and uh, accept and not keep on finding excuses to um, stay away and not speak to the other person. Or we pray that uh, Cottage Church be the kind of church where we have depth of loving relationships uh, across age barriers, older and younger, across class barriers, uh, rich and poor, across racial uh, barriers, that there'll be no Philemon and Nisimus estrangements, but your gospel, we pray, Lord, would have the transformative power that it's intended to do. And so, Lord, that, that, that our hearts will be refreshed and renewed and revived. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.